God, we praise you, we love you, we adore you. Open your truth to us today. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we're in a series right now called Deeper. Uh, We're looking at Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 6, really exploring what the New Testament church looked like. Uh, I think that's probably why I got so excited about this last Tuesday, sitting in a miracle of God and going, wow, that was a characteristic of a New Testament church, was that they all were together in unity Uh, Right When you had that many leaders all willing to do the same thing and to sacrifice, you know that all of those people collectively are living in unity. That's that's part of the power of it. And so we're looking at this series, and and today we're in Acts chapter 2, and we're looking at Peter's first sermon. Some people would say it's really the first Christian sermon. It's not, but it is. The reason they say it is is because this is at Pentecost, Pentecost being 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? Um, Or, I'm sorry, 50 days after um, they crucified him. Um, And so when you you look at that, you go, okay, here is Peter, and he's standing up at Pentecost. That's why Pentecost, Penta 50. Um, It's Pentecost because here, all these people, we know it's one of three festivals that the Jewish people are required to come back to Jerusalem for. And they're coming back to Jerusalem, and they're coming back to celebrate Um, at a festival that's really built around the harvest and around the giving of the Torah. Those two different things. It started off more for the harvest, ended up more for the Torah and the giving of it because those in exile and Babylon and other places. And so now here are all these people crowding the streets, you know, just getting, just making Jerusalem beyond full and Peter starts preaching. I don't know if I would have told him to do that. I don't know if I would have said, hey, now is the perfect time when they're here for a different reason to start preaching about Jesus who was crucified 50 days ago. Um, but obviously, he knew what God wanted, and he was correct. Because we learn so much from what Peter begins to preach about. One of the things we learn is I think we learn what a sermon should be. It's, it's really remarkable because uh, we, we have made sermons, the preacher, I, I think we have viewed preachers and sermons so differently throughout the last 20 years. The reason is technology, right? Um, literally, it's, it's funny who I get compared to. Like, people will walk up to me and, and they're like, well, you're not as good as Francis Chan. I'm like, thank you. Like, what are you supposed to say to that? Like, Hoorah! Right? It's because technology, you see all these different preachers, you see all these different people out there communicating who do it for a living, and then you go, okay, you start comparing to those things. But we, and, and what it's done is it's caused, I think, some preachers, one, not to be authentic to what God has called them to be. And I think also what it's done is it's allowed us as a church to make preaching something that it's not really intended to be. Believe it or not, the key word for preaching is not self-motivation. That's a tough one to find in scripture. Meaning making you feel better about who you already are and then giving you eight points or seven points or five points if seven is too many or 12 points if it's going to be an over an hour sermon. And then saying this is how you can better yourself if you do this. Now if it's rooted in scripture, that's okay. But you look 
at this passage in Peter's first sermon, and you learn a lot about what a sermon should be. One is this. I, I want to begin reading for you in verse 14, Acts 2, 14 and following. It's not on the screen, but just kind of go with it here because I'm going to go crazy, crazy fast. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea, remember this is at Pentecost, he's speaking to all these individuals. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Here's what he's just done. He stood up in the midst of this big festival and he says, hey guys, listen up and listen well. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Remember, they started speaking in all these different languages, and people, because they're there for the festival, coming in from everywhere, they're going, how is it that I hear my language? And it's because God worked in such a mighty way. And they're going, these guys must be drunk, but they weren't. He says, these people aren't drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he jumps into this. He calls on the words of Joel. One of the first things we recognize a sermon should be is spirit-empowered. Now, I know when I preach about what a sermon should be, you're automatically going to judge if that's how I preach. Yay for me. But I'm going to do my very best because I do believe that's the core to preaching is that it must be spirit-empowered. And it must be led by Holy Spirit. Peter is calling on the words of Joel here. And he's speaking about how God created a covenant people. And he even then begins to explain the coming of Holy Spirit. He begins to explain the coming, the coming of Holy Spirit and the significance of what that had. So a sermon must be spirit empowered. Also, if you go down after these words from Joel, in verse 22 and 23, you're going to recognize that a sermon is also gospel rooted. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the, de the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless, lawless men. One of the things that we recognize is it's all about, it's about Jesus. It's gospel rooted. It's about the good news of what Christ did for us. So it must be spirit empowered. It also must be gospel rooted. And as he continues to preach this first sermon, we recognize that it's biblical. Because here is this first sermon that Peter's preaching. And he's quoting Joel and Isaiah Right, And he's doing this, even Psalms 110, he's, he's jumping into Psalm 110, so he's jumping in to Scripture. Right, When you walk away from a sermon, if you walk away from any message that, that I preach or anybody else, and you're not really sure what passage they were using, question if it was preaching. There's some directness. When you go, why haven't they used Scripture today? Or they preach a long sermon and then they just give a quick, hey, and by the way, you can find that, John 3.16, he loves everybody. Because even Peter and his message here, he's going to the word of God, he's going to scripture. And so a sermon needs to be spirit empowered, it needs to be gospel rooted, it needs to be biblical, yes. But also in verse 23 and 24 that I just read and even in 30 and 30 through 33, it needs to be Christ exalting. Being therefore, this is verse 30 and following, being therefore a prophet 
and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So it's Christ exalting. So a sermon is to be spirit-empowered, gospel-rooted, biblical, Christ-exalting. And finally, one of the, the primary points here is, is, is to be transformational and convicting. Now, that's where we start to really struggle. It's to be transformational and convicting. 36 and 37. He calls them out. Listen, listen to these words. Peter's preaching this sermon. All these people are gathered for this festival, celebrating the first harvest and also uh, for the giving of the Torah. First five books of the Bible, Pentateuch as well. And he, they're celebrating this, and he just stands up in the midst of them and begins preaching this powerful message. And he, he concludes with words like this. He says the following, because he's talking about David here, and this is with Psalms. And he says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And in verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus, now don't just jump over these words. This Jesus whom you have crucified. Right? That's called conviction. (laughs) He called it out. And some people would not appreciate that very much. Wait a second. He just called us out for crucifying this Jesus. I didn't have anything to do with it. Who is he to call us out for that? But that's exactly what he did. And here's what I love so much. is It's not a matter of even looking at how a sermon, what, what message it should have. But it's looking at how this, this, this passage shows us how we should be responding to a message. Because he calls them out for, for crucifying Jesus. And in verse 37, we learn a tremendous amount. In verse 37, it says that they heard this and they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brother, what shall we do? I just want to stop right there because here's what we learn. Is that the people were receptive to being transformed. They were receptive to being convicted. Because it says that they were what? Cut to the heart. And that's so difficult for some. To allow themselves to be vulnerable enough to God to allow God to come in and speak truth to you. And upon hearing truth, responding to that truth. That's so difficult for some of us, isn't it? Because we don't want to have anything to do with that. This Jesus whom you crucified... And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of Holy Spirit. Guys, when when God speaks truth, 
When God speaks his truth, we must decide how we will respond to something that gives both freedom and conviction. We have to, that's, a, that's a hard decision to make sometimes, honestly. Because it takes a whole bunch of humility to receive conviction. It, it takes a whole bunch of humility to receive that. And some of us can't do it. It's really what this passage is about for me in so many ways was what we see is a bunch of people who heard this first sermon and it was very clear, very precise, very much Christ-exalting. It was Christ-honoring. It was spirit-empowered. It was gospel-rooted. It was biblical. They hear it and they ended up responding because they had a decision to make. Whenever God, Holy Spirit, speaks into your life, you have a decision to make. It's decision time. Right, some of us struggle with decisions. We don't even know how to make a decision of where we're going to eat lunch today. I don't know. I don't care. And then you pick, have you ever done that before? I don't know. I don't care. And, and you say that, and then your spouse says, well, how about this? Well, I don't want that. You just said you don't care. Anybody? 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 Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. We sometimes, we sometimes struggle with decisions, and yet here is decision time because God is coming and speaking and doing something mighty and it was decision time for these people. And I'm amazed at the choice they made because the decision that they were making wasn't in the midst of, hey, look at what everybody else is doing. We know the persecution that is about to flood the church. They were willing to respond to a conviction because they'd been transformed. Holy Spirit had come into their life. It was decision time for them. Conviction is a firm belief held out of being convinced of a truth or a preference. That's what conviction really is. I always say conviction is a blessing. And these individuals were convicted and as a result of their conviction, they responded to it and they changed. They responded to it and, they, and it, is, it is a blessing because it's God coming in and saying, you know what, you don't have all the answers. You can't do it correctly all by yourself. Let me help you. And he comes in and he's directing us. He's being the good shepherd. And he's taking the stick and he's shepherding us. And he's moving us where he desires for us to be. Isn't that beautiful? And he does that through conviction. And these people were being convicted. It says that they were cut to the heart and they responded. And yet so many of us are are making decisions based on preferences rather than convictions. Guys, um, we must understand Scripture and live accordingly. We must not allow our preferences to translate the Word of God. We must allow the Word of God to determine our preferences. that can be difficult when all you hear is the whole world saying this and yet you know God is saying this the world telling you it's okay to hold a grudge it's okay not to forgive it's okay to not trust them anymore it's okay to have hatred it's okay to step away from the word of god it's okay to just make up your own rules and live you just live by whatever feels good and yet we find these people making decisions not out of preference but based out and on conviction 
And that's something that is so important for us. And when you're convicted, what you strive to do is you ache to bring God into every part of your life. You ache to bring God into every part of your life. Here's the result of what took place. And I just want to conclude with this before we have an opportunity to to call out to God once again. Chapter 2 and It says the following. For the promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, this is verse 40 and following, with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And so those who received his word, now that's that's crucial. It doesn't say that those who heard it, like audibly, what it's communicating here is it says, so those who received, those who were cut to the heart, those who were willing to be vulnerable enough to allow Holy Spirit to come into their life, those who were willing to truly hear the truth, those who received his word were baptized. Right then, here's the result. It's Pentecost. Everybody's there for a different reason. Peter stands up and he preaches a sermon that is completely Christ-centric, that is completely spirit-empowered, that uses scripture to make sure people understand that it is truth. And they responded to conviction and 3,000 people came to know the Lord. And I am a firm believer that God not only did those things 2,000 years ago, I am a firm believer that God still does those things today. It simply takes a group of people who allow themselves to be vulnerable enough to Holy Spirit. What is God convicting you of today? I mean, that's one of my dreams is to pastor a church, you guys, and it's a church that is full of people who were willing to be convicted and to respond to that conviction. Because when that happens, get ready for a miracle of God. Get ready to see a movement of God because those are people, you are people who are willing to allow God to take precedence, to allow conviction to take precedence over preference. And so my prayer for us is that we would develop convictions in the area of spirituality. That we would develop convictions in the area of spirituality and prayer and in reading the word. What is God convicting you of? I love so much. And sometimes we we think about the 3,000 people coming to know the Lord. But one of the most amazing things about this entire story to me is that you had all of these individuals who were willing to respond out of conviction. Like in our, and it's our culture, I understand it's our culture, and I'm not talking about West Michigan culture, I'm talking about just, it's the United States. 
I've pastored in four different states. It's the same everywhere, whether you're in the Northeast, Southeast, Midwest, or whatever we are. The, the high five of the United States is what I heard recently. I, it, it's really the same. We're not very good at being vulnerable enough in this country to be receptive to conviction and then to respond to it. What I'm amazed by is all of these people who are willing to respond to the conviction. What is God convicting you of? And are you willing to respond to it? And maybe it's the way you, you treat your spouse, right? Maybe you make so much fun of them publicly that it's turned to a place of where it's just no respect. Maybe it's because you keep loving your spouse for who they may become to you one day rather than who they are in Christ right now. What is God convicting you of? I know we're about to sing and the team's going to come back out, but guys, I got to tell you, um, Tuesday night, I wanted to take all that time to tell you that story because Tuesday night was a bunch of guys who had been convicted together. They, they, they heard the voice of God, and as a result, they were willing to respond to that conviction of sacrificing. And I didn't even really, I mean, I cared about the number. I didn't really care about the number. What I cared about was I was like, I was so overwhelmed to be in a room. I just wanted to hug them all and kiss them on the cheek. And I did with someone. I was like, I love you. Because I, I, I was able to sit in a room with a bunch of people who were willing to be convicted and respond in the same way. That's what God intends the church to be. Isn't that it? You know how much power is in that? How is God convicting you? And are you willing to be one of those Willing to stand up and say, I will respond. I'm going to respond. I'm going to set that example for my children and for my grandchildren. I'm going to respond to what, whatever God is prompting on my heart. Here's a prompting of Holy Spirit. God prompted their hearts. He cut them to the heart. And as a result, they responded. And if you just keep thinking about something over and over, that's probably Holy Spirit prompting you, by the way. You have to make a decision if you're willing to be obedient. Will you respond to his conviction. That's Acts chapter 2. That's the first sermon. Holy Spirit coming, convicting people because it was Christ exalting. It was biblically based. It was God honoring. It wasn't about Peter. It was about the message. It was scriptural. They heard it. Holy Spirit let them know this is truth. And in the midst of all of these other thousands of people who had gathered together for this special festival, they said, you know what? Our lives just changed. God, I come before you. And I thank you for conviction. And the beauty that it is. And Lord, I pray that you would allow us the opportunity. The joy of responding. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.